If you have your copy of the Scriptures, let me encourage you to turn to Leviticus chapter 3. Leviticus chapter 3. You'll find that beginning on page 104 in the Pew Bibles. It's also printed in the bulletin for you. Well, last night, while many of us slept, while probably some of us were having a hard time sleeping, we all traveled back in time. As the clocks rolled back an hour, right? As they fell back. And so we're all feeling rested this morning. We're all, since we, since we stored up an hour, why don't we just use that extra hour now? Okay, okay. But it is time for us to travel back in time again. Let's travel back as we read Leviticus chapter 3. In his off, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar, and from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys." Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It is offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female. He shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail cut off close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he, sh that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting, and the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys." And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Now, as we come to this third offering in our study of the book of Leviticus, you notice by now the sermon titles and the, the focus of the sermons is similar. There's a repetition. Once again, we come to asking the question, in, 
now what seems like an anatomy lesson. Is there really good news in this? And friends, there is. There is glorious, precious news. So let's ask that the Lord would give us ears to hear the good news that He has for us as we consider the peace offering this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to You this morning, Father, Your Word tells us that all of it points us ultimately to Jesus. So Father, I pray that as we consider these instructions that You graciously provided to Your people regarding this particular offering, help us to see Jesus. Help us to see how this offering points to Jesus. Help us to see how Jesus immeasurably fulfills what this offering anticipates and celebrates. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glory of Jesus in Leviticus 3. And Father, we pray that as we consider these words, that we would be shaped so that when we leave this place, we might leave rejoicing in Jesus and committed to declaring to the world the glorious grace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. As we consider the good news that is here in this peace offering, there are three things that I want us to observe. The first is the prescriptions. As we have with the past two offerings, we're going to walk through some of the prescriptions that are given here for this offering. We need to think about pitfalls, pitfalls associated with the emphasis of this offering. And then lastly, the pointers. What is this offering ultimately pointing us to? So the prescriptions, the pitfalls, and the pointers. First, the prescriptions. Last week, we looked at the grain offering. And this week, as we come to the peace offering or the fellowship offering, as some people refer to it, we're back now to animals. We saw the gift of animals with the burnt offering, Leviticus 1. We went back, or God takes the people to the grain offering in chapter 2, and now he has brought us back to animal sacrifices, animal offerings. We also notice, don't we, that as with the three prior offerings, we have another threefold division here in the text. Remember, we saw three parts two weeks ago. We saw three parts last week. Here we have the three parts again. What are they? Well, we have if the peace offering is from the herd. We have if the peace offering is from the flock specifically a sheep, a lamb, verse 7, and then, beginning in verse 12, the goat, if the goat is offered, because all of these animals are different from one another, there's some different care that is given to them. And so the Lord, in His grace and in His wisdom, provides His people guidance on how they should prepare and offer these particular offerings. And as, you, as we read, perhaps... 
perhaps your, your memory was, was, was triggered. That's not the best word. It, it, maybe you were reminded and thinking, you know, I hear some similarities in this offering with what we read back in chapter 1 about the burnt offering. And a helpful exercise is to set the language of chapter 1 alongside the language of chapter 3 and look and see how things are similar and things are different. And this is easy to do in our day and age, right? You don't even have to write all of the words out and start copying them because most of you have a computer, most of you have access to the internet. You can copy and paste Leviticus 1 and set it beside Leviticus 3, and you can start comparing. I would commend that to you as an exercise on just thinking about what are the similarities and the differences. But the work has also been done for you in that I want us to observe just briefly some of the similarities and some of the differences between these two offerings. What, what are the similarities? And here we're going to focus our attention on verses 1 through 5 where Moses is given the instructions about a peace offering from the herd, a bull or a cow. Well, how is the language similar? How is this offering similar to that burnt offering in chapter 1? Well, the first similarity is there in verse 1. What is to be the quality of this offering? This is not just to be one of the leftovers from the herd. This is not to be one that the farmer just wants to get rid of. Okay, I don't need... Bessie or Bob anymore, so we'll just take him or her over to the tabernacle and we'll just be done with that. No, it still has to be from among the best. It has to be an animal without blemish. Only the best will do. We also see this act of identification that we saw before. There is a laying on of hands that happens. As the offerer gives this offering, he identifies with it in saying this animal in some way represents me as I give it to the Lord. I am also giving myself to him. Where is this animal killed? Well, just like the burnt offering, it is killed outside the tent of meeting before the presence of the Lord. So notice there in verse 2, he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. What else is similar? Well, as that animal is killed and its blood is collected, the same thing is done with the blood. Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. That blood is splashed. And then on down in verse 5, we see that where this offering is offered is the same place. It is this altar outside the tent of meeting. So we see a number of similarities between 
how the animal is offered, where it is offered, but there are also substantial differences, aren't there? We see the differences beginning in verse 1. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering. Here we're told from the beginning that this is something different. There's a different reason. There's a different preparation at certain levels with this offering. And the, the language signifies this difference. The, the first way we see this is that word sacrifice. Turn over to Leviticus 1.3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, the language of sacrifice is not there. Why? Well, notice that both places use this term Offering And it's the same word in the Hebrew at Leviticus 1.3 as in 3.1. And it's just a generic term that covers any kind of offering. It also shows up in relation to the grain offering. But back in Leviticus 3, we have this word inserted, this sacrifice of peace offering. That word sacrifice refers to the killing of the animal. It's an animal that is killed as an offering. Well, but you might say, wait a second. The burnt offering was killed, so why is that word not used here? The reason I think is this. The title for the peace offering is a sacrifice of peace offering. Sacrifice for peace. Sacrifice of fellowship. Something like that. But we don't have over with the burnt offering a sacrifice of burnt offering. It's just called a burnt offering. Why? Because the word that we translate burnt offering is linked to the word for ascend, go up to the Lord. And the point here from the beginning of the burnt offering is that all of it is given. All of it is offered up. And so I think the word sacrifice is not used because the emphasis is on the whole of it. All of it goes up to the Lord. All of it except for the skin that is reserved for the priest who offers the 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 burnt offering on behalf of the worshiper. But when we come now to Leviticus 3.1, we don't have that whole emphasis because something different is being done. The animal is being killed, and it is being killed for or to celebrate fellowship or peace or wholeness. Notice also, There is a difference in this offering in the gender possibility. We live in a day and age that is confused over this issue. The Israelites were not confused. And God tells them here that either a male or a female is appropriate for offering from the herd. But also... Only a portion is offered. Notice in verses 3 through 4. 
And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. This is not like the burnt offering. With the burnt offering... Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head, the fat, on the wood. The entrails and legs he washes with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering. But now we are only told that these internal organs are placed. They're removed from the animal, and they are placed on the altar as the offering. And this raises a couple of questions, doesn't it? One of the questions it raises is, why this stuff? Why the fat? Why the kidneys? Why the long lobe of the liver? Well, we get a little confused by this in that we do absolutely everything we can do, do we not? to avoid fat. Some of your doctors probably put you on a fat-free diet. And we won't go into the debates and discussions about the value of fat and all of that. That's for another time. But we live in an age where we have been taught and we think fat, not good. When you go see your doctor, he wants you to lose some of Fill in the blank, okay? But here, for the Hebrews, the fat was seen as the choicest part of the animal. It's where the juice would reside. There was a sweetness to it. But what does a fat animal and the fat in the animal also point to? It points to an animal who has been provided for. And some believe that the fat as it is offered on the altar to the Lord is pointing as a reminder that the Lord has provided this animal. He has provided for this animal. He has provided this animal to me. He has provided what the animal needs. And so I am giving back what the Lord has provided in celebration. But not just the fat, but also the kidneys. Why the kidneys? Well, in the Hebrew mindset, the kidneys were the seat of emotions. We read this, don't we, in the New Testament, similar ideas, if you're reading it like in the King James, and it talks about Jesus having bowels of compassion. It's The idea is that it is in this part of the physical body where the emotions are felt, where they are experienced. And we use this language too. When someone is nervous, what do we say they are experiencing? Butterflies. And butterflies where? In their stomach. And so, the Hebrews associating that physical sensation referred to, associated the kidneys with the seat of emotions. We see this, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 11. Jeremiah 11.20, 20, 
The ESV reads, But O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind. So the Lord examines the heart. The Lord examines the mind. The New American Standard is a little bit better on this. Feelings and the heart. The Lord tests the feelings and the heart. The King James goes even farther. The reins and the heart. That's not like the reins of the horse, but that's the reins in reference to what is literally, in the Hebrew, the kidneys. The Lord tests the kidneys and the hearts. He examines our emotions. So why is the offerer offering the kidneys of the bull on the offer, on the altar? Well, one commentator puts it this way, it is possible that offering the kidneys and internal fat symbolizes the dedication of the worshiper's best and deepest emotions to God. The offerer is surrendering even the feelings of his heart, the feelings of his kidneys to the Lord in the giving of this offering. All that he is, is the Lord's. But this raises, where we're still left with another question, aren't we? What about all the rest? If that's what's done with the fat, the kidneys, the long lobe of the liver, and so forth, what about all the rest of that animal? Two things. We're given a hint in verse 17. Notice verse 17 of chapter 3. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Why is he talking about eating now? What does eating have to do with this sacrifice? Well, eating has a whole lot to do with this sacrifice. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7. We will be considering this in more detail here in a few weeks. But it's worth noticing even this morning. Leviticus 7, beginning in verse 11. Here, after God gives all of the instructions to Moses for the worshiper about the sacrifices, now there is a return to all of the sacrifices again And there is more specific instruction given for the priests as they guide the offering, the reception and the offering of these various offerings. So here we come to the priestly instructions for the priest, for the peace, excuse me, offering. Verse 11, Leviticus 7, And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. Sound familiar? There's that grain offering now being offered with the peace offering. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offerings with loaves of leavened bread. And from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. 
But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, that it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice, and on the next day what remains of it shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. So here we are told that the one who brings his offering is given some of the animal to eat as part of the gift, as part of the recognition, as part of the worship experience. But notice also down in verse 28. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord through his offering. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your your peace offerings. So the priests are also getting food out of this offering. Part of the animal is offered on the altar. Part of the animal is reserved for the worshiper and his family to eat. Part of the animal is reserved for the priest. But there's one other difference. There's one other difference that we must see. Notice back in Leviticus 3. In verse 5. Where is this peace offering offered? It's not just offered on the altar. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering. Where is it offered? On top of the burnt offering on top of an offering that all has already been wholly dedicated to the Lord, whether this was the offerer's own burnt offering in addition to the fellowship offering, or possibly the perpetual burnt offering that the community had to offer day after day and night after night, whatever it is, there's already an offering burning there, an offering of dedication, an offering that was for what? Back in verse 4 of chapter 1, what do we read about the effect of the burnt offering? He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Here's what I want us to see in all of this. As the offerer offers this peace offering, friends, he is not offering it to make peace. He is offering it because peace has already been made. He is making this offering to celebrate the peace that has already been secured by God. And this is pictured in the fact that this offering is offered on top of the burnt offering which shall provide for atonement. We'll see more in the coming weeks about the off other offerings and their relation to sin, but as a bottom line, what we need to see here is that as the offerer offers up this peace offering to God, he does so in celebration that peace has already been provided. 
And he is rejoicing in that peace. He is committing himself to the Lord in the context of a peaceful relationship. The purpose of this offering, Alan Ross in his commentary on Leviticus puts it this way. What is the purpose of this peace offering? The purpose is this. The main emphasis of the peace offering must be on celebrating all the benefits of being at peace with God. It indicates that all is well between the worshiper and God. So as this peace offering is provided, there is a celebration that there is peace between the one who gives this sacrifice and his God who has provided this sacrifice to him. It is appropriate, is it not? To celebrate the absence of hostilities? To celebrate the presence of peace? Think back to those iconic images from the end of World War II. As generations celebrated in May, victory in Europe. And as they celebrated in September of 1945, victory in Japan. What happened all over the world? Wikipedia is not the most reliable source of information. But if you go to Wikipedia, you can find out, I think, some pretty reliable information on this issue. And that is that there were celebrations all over the world. And these are still holidays that are remembered across the globe because the global conflict had come to an end and peace was worth celebrating. And here, peace with God is worth celebrating. And friends, peace with God is worth us celebrating today. Why? Because we have a far better. We have a far more comprehensive peace that the Israelites could only hope for and long for. Which brings us to two pitfalls Two pitfalls that we must be careful not to step into related to this celebration of peace with God. One pitfall is this. It's assuming that you have peace with God when you actually don't. It's assuming that there is a peace in your relationship with Almighty God. When in truth, there is no peace. We cannot take peace with God for granted. We cannot assume that because we live in reasonably comfortable circumstances, where, yes, we have difficulties in this life, but by and large, things seem to be going reasonably okay, that God must be happy with us. We cannot live under the delusion that we have enough good works 
to ensure that we have peace with God now and we will have peace with God forever. Friends, this is an eternally deadly pitfall. There is one and only way that you and I can have peace now and peace forever with the living God. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice in our place. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, He is the One who has brought us peace. And it is only in Christ. And it is only by trusting in Christ, consciously relying upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in the place of sinners like us. It is only then that you can have peace with God. And so friends, if you're here this morning and your trust is not in Christ, on the authority of the Bible, I am here to tell you that no matter how you feel, no matter what you think, if your trust is not in Christ, you do not have peace with God. But there's another pitfall. There's another pitfall. Because many of you who are here today are trusting Christ. And you do have peace with God. Romans 5.1 Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. But you are thinking, you are feeling, you are perceiving that you don't have peace with God. You're thinking that because of what you're walking through, God must be angry at you. Because of something that you've done, then there is no peace between you and God. And He doesn't care for you. And He doesn't love you. And He's really disappointed in you this morning. Let me be clear. The Bible is plain that as a loving father, the Lord disciplines those that He loves. So the Lord does provide loving correction to redirect His children, and that is not always pleasant. But to whom does God provide such loving correction? It is to His children whom He loves. It is to those who are His. It is to those who have peace with Him for their sins because of the work of Christ in their place and their reliance upon what Jesus has done. Friend, if you are here this morning and your trust is in Christ on the authority of the Scriptures, you have peace with God. And that is worth celebrating. That is worth rejoicing in. 
the pitfalls are. That we would assume that we have peace when we don't. If you don't truly have peace with God, you can. By turning to Jesus now. But the other pitfall is that you forget. You forget that it is God who has provided peace. It is God who has made peace by the sacrifice of His Son for us. And so, what does this offering point us to? First, this offering points us to the fact that God established peace with His people. If you turn back, we're not going to go there. You can look at it on your own if you want to. In Exodus 24, 4 through 11. Exodus 24, 4 through 11, where the covenant with the people is initially established. And Moses and the leaders of Israel are there on the mountain. And what are they doing as the covenant has been established? You know what they're doing? They are enjoying the food of peace offerings because their covenant God has established a relationship with them. He has rescued them. He has saved them. And now they are celebrating that peace that He has established in relationship with them. Do you remember what Jesus said when He took that cup and gave it to His disciples on the night when He was betrayed and instituted that supper that we observe periodically? What did Jesus say about His own sacrifice? He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. Because this is the cup of the covenant. I cut my notes short. It's too important to pass over. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. A covenant has been established, a new covenant, a better covenant, so that by faith in Christ we have peace with God. Not only does the peace offering point us to the covenant relationship that God has established and that God has established in Christ, the peace offering points us to the fact that God wants His people to remember and celebrate the covenant that they have. He does not want us to forget. He does not want us to have what we have said elsewhere and what Paul Tripp calls gospel amnesia. He does not want us to forget that we have peace with God. That is why over and over and over and over the Scriptures, especially the New Testament, point us to this reality. There is peace with God in Christ. God wants us to remember that we have such peace. And when we observe the Lord's Supper, I think the eating of the peace offering meal is a pointer to the Lord's Supper. There are other avenues, Passover and things, of course, that point to the Lord's Supper. But as we observe the Lord's Supper, that is one way that we as a congregation remember and celebrate the peace that God has provided in Christ. But also, how do we celebrate peace?
peace with God? Friends, we celebrate peace with God by once again giving all that we are to God. Even our heart, soul, mind, strength. Even our emotions. It is all God's. And we celebrate the peace that we have with God by again giving all that we are to Him. But also, this celebration, this celebration of peace with God, a celebration that we engage in every Sunday morning when we are together, the celebration of peace with God calls not for the leftovers. Not for the leftovers of our lives. Not for the leftovers of our time. Not for the leftovers of our treasures. Celebrating peace with God truly calls us to celebrate with the best, with the first that God has blessed us with. But this peace offering also points us to the fact that as we celebrate the peace that sinners like us have with God by His grace in Christ, this peace comes with responsibilities. It comes with expectations. Verse 17, It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling place that you eat neither fat nor blood. There is a requirement. There is a constraining. And if we are going to celebrate the peace that we have with God with our lives, it will cause us to say no to certain things, and it will cause us to say yes to other things. Not because God is a killjoy, but because He knows what is best for us. And He knows how it is that we should rightfully render ourselves to Him. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Before I read 1 Peter chapter 1, if you're taking notes, let me encourage you to think about Matthew 18, 21 and following this afternoon or this week, and how the parable that Jesus tells of the unforgiving servant points us to the fact that peace that we have with our master brings with it responsibilities. But we also see that here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. There, we are to prepare our mind. We are to be sober-minded. We are not to be conformed to worldly passions. We are to pursue holiness, separateness, distinctness in our conduct. Why? 
Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Here it is, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We are to remember that we have peace by a lamb who was offered without blemish or spot, and that should affect how we live our lives. The peace that we have with God is a peace to be celebrated. It is a peace that comes with responsibilities. It is a peace to be remembered. Why? Because Jesus is glorified as we remember that He and He alone is our peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to You once more during this time of worship, Father, we thank You that You have done in the Lord Jesus Christ what we could never hope to do. You have provided a way for children of wrath like us. That's what the Scriptures call us apart from Christ. You have provided a way whereby we who deserve destruction might know forgiveness. We who left to ourselves want to rule our own lives. We want nothing to do with Your good and wise rule over us. In Your kindness, You have provided a way where enemies like us can have peace with You. And Father, this peace that comes only in the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, this peace is a peace worth celebrating. This is a peace that we must, that we need to remember if we are to live faithfully. Help us, Father, this week, those who are in Christ, help us to remember what Your Word tells us and that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Help us to remember that through faith in Christ, we are at peace with You. Help us to remember the gift of Your love, the gift of Your goodness. Help us, Father, to live as those who are at peace with You. And Father, if there are those here this morning There are those who are hearing this sermon that don't know the saving peace of Christ. Father, help them to see. Help them to see through delusions that apart from Christ, there is no true and lasting peace. There are feelings and experiences of temporary peace in this life, but Father, help them to see that there is one who has done what they could never do. Help them to see the gift of forgiveness and peace in King Jesus, the one whose blood was poured out to establish 
a new covenant, a better covenant. I pray, Father, that they would come to know the one by faith who is the Prince of Peace. In His name we pray. Amen.